0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Loftus at Lee Summit, Missouri. www.voice123.com slash Michael Loftus THE LAST OF THE MOHICANS BY JAMES FENIMORE COOPER CHAPTER Twenty-Three. It is unusual to find an encampment of the natives, like those of the more instructed whites, guarded by the presence of armed men. Well informed of the approach of every danger, while it is yet at a distance, the Indian generally rests secure under his knowledge of the signs of the forest, and the long and difficult paths that separate him from those he has most reason to dread. But the enemy who, by any lucky concurrence of accidents, has found means to elude the vigilance of the scouts, will seldom meet with sentinels nearer home to sound the alarm. In addition to this general usage, the tribes friendly to the French knew too well the weight of the blow that had just been struck, to apprehend any immediate danger from the hostile nations that were tributary to the crown of Britain. When Duncan and David, therefore, found themselves in the centre of the children, who played the antics already mentioned, it was without the least previous intimation of their approach. But so soon as they were observed, the whole of the juvenile pack raised, by common consent, a shrill and warning whoop, and then sank, as it were, by magic, from before the sight of their visitors. The naked, tawny bodies of the crouching urchins blended so nicely at that hour with the withered herbage, THAT AT FIRST IT SEEMED AS IF THE EARTH HAD, IN TRUTH, SWALLOWED UP THEIR FORMS. THOUGH WHEN SURPRISE PERMITTED DUNCAN TO BEND HIS LOOK MORE CURIOUSLY ABOUT THE SPOT, HE FOUND IT EVERYWHERE MET BY DARK, QUICK, AND ROLLING EYEBALLS. GATHERING NO ENCOURAGEMENT FROM THIS STARTLING PRESAGE OF THE NATURE OF THE SCRUTINY HE WAS LIKELY TO UNDERGO FROM THE MORE MATURE JUDGMENTS OF THE MEN, THERE WAS AN INSTANT WHEN THE YOUNG SOLDIER WOULD HAVE RETREATED. IT WAS, HOWEVER, TOO LATE TO APPEAR TO HESITATE the cry of the children had drawn a dozen warriors to the door of the nearest lodge where they stood clustered in a dark and savage group gravely awaiting the nearer approach of those who had unexpectedly come among them david in some measure familiarized to the scene led the way with a steadiness that no slight obstacle was likely to disconcert into this very building it was the principal edifice of the village though roughly constructed of the bark and branches of trees being the lodge in which the tribe held its councils and public meetings during their temporary residence on the borders of the english province duncan found it difficult to assume the necessary appearance of unconcern as he brushed the dark and powerful frames of the savages who thronged his threshold but conscious that his existence depended on the presence of mind he trusted to the discretion of his companion whose footsteps he closely followed endeavoring as he proceeded to rally his thoughts for the occasion His blood curdled when he found himself in absolute contact with such fierce and implacable enemies. But he so far mastered his feelings as to pursue his way into the centre of the lodge, with an exterior that did not betray the weakness. Imitating the example of the deliberate gamut, he drew a bundle of fragrant brush from beneath a pile that filled the corner of the hut, and seated himself in silence. So soon as their visitor had passed, the observant warriors fell back from the entrance, and arranging themselves about him, they seemed patiently to await the moment when it might comport with the dignity of the stranger to speak. By far the greater number stood leaning in lazy, lounging attitudes against the upright posts that supported the crazy building, while three or four of the oldest and most distinguished of the chiefs placed themselves on the earth a little more in advance. A flaring torch was burning in the place, and set its red glare from face to face and figure to figure, as it waved in the currents of air. Duncan profited by its light to read the probable character of his reception in the countenance of his hosts, but his ingenuity availed him little against the cold artifices of the people he had encountered. The chiefs in front scarce cast a glance at his person, keeping their eyes on the ground, with an air that might have been intended for respect, but which it was quite easy to construe into distrust. The men in the shadows were less reserved duncan soon detected their searching but stolen looks which in truth scanned his person and attire inch by inch leaving no emotion of the countenance no gesture no line of the paint nor even the fashion of a garment unheeded and without comment at length one whose hair was beginning to be sprinkled with gray but whose sinewy limbs and firm tread announced that he was still equal to the duties of manhood advanced out of the gloom of a corner, whither he had probably posted himself, to make his observations unseen, and spoke. He used the language of the Wyandots or Hurons. His words were, consequently, unintelligible to Hayward, though they seemed, by the gestures that accompanied them, to be uttered more in courtesy than anger. The latter shook his head, and made a gesture indicative of his inability to reply. "'Do none of my brothers speak the French or the English?' he said in the former language looking about him from countenance to countenance in hopes of finding a nod of assent though more than one had turned as if to catch the meaning of his words they remained unanswered i should be grieved to think continued duncan speaking slowly and using the simplest french of which he was the master to believe that none of this wise and brave nation understand the language that the grand monarch uses when he talks to his children HIS HEART WOULD BE HEAVY, DID HE BELIEVE HIS RED WARRIORS PAID HIM SO LITTLE RESPECT. A LONG AND GRAVE PAUSE SUCCEEDED, DURING WHICH NO MOVEMENT OF A LIMB, NOR ANY EXPRESSION OF AN EYE, BETRAYED THE EXPRESSION PRODUCED BY HIS REMARK. DUNCAN, WHO KNEW THAT SILENCE WAS A VIRTUE AMONG HIS HOSTS, GLADLY HAD RECOURSE TO THE CUSTOM IN ORDER TO ARRANGE HIS IDEAS. AT LENGTH THE SAME WARRIOR WHO HAD BEFORE ADDRESSED HIM REPLIED, by dryly demanding in the language of the canadas when our great father speaks to his people is it with the tongue of a huron he knows no difference in his children whether the color of the skin be red or black or white returned duncan evasively though chiefly is he satisfied with the brave hurons in what manner will he speak demanded the weary chief, when the runners count to him the scalps which five nights ago grew on the heads of the Yengees. "'They were his enemies,' said Duncan, shuddering involuntarily. "'And doubtless he will say, it is good. My Hurons are very gallant.' "'Our Canada father does not think it. Instead of looking forward to reward his Indians, his eyes are turned backward.' HE SEES THE DEAD YANGUES, BUT NO HURON. WHAT CAN THIS MEAN? A GREAT CHIEF LIKE HIM HAS MORE THOUGHTS THAN TONGUES. HE LOOKS TO SEE THAT NO ENEMIES ARE ON HIS TRAIL. THE CANOE OF A DEAD WARRIOR WILL NOT FLOAT ON THE HORICON, RETURNED THE SAVAGE gloomily. HIS EARS ARE OPEN TO THE DELAWARES, WHO ARE NOT OUR FRIENDS and they fill them with lies it cannot be see he has bid me who am a man that knows the art of healing to go to his children the red hurons of the great lakes and ask if any are sick another silence succeeded this enunciation of the character duncan had assumed every eye was simultaneously bent on his person as if to inquire into the truth or falsehood of the declaration with an intelligence and keenness that caused the subject of their scrutiny to tremble for the result he was however relieved again by the former speaker do the cunning men of the canadas paint their skins the huron coldly continued we have heard them boast that their faces were pale when an indian chief comes among his white fathers returned duncan with great steadiness he lays aside his buffalo robe to carry the shirt that is offered him my brothers have given me paint and i wear it a low murmur of applause announced that the compliment of the tribe was favorably received the elderly chief made a gesture of commendation which was answered by most of his companions Huish threw forth a hand and uttered a brief exclamation of pleasure. Duncan began to breathe more freely, believing that the weight of his examination was past, and as he had already prepared a simple and probable tale to support his pretended occupation, his hopes of ultimate success grew brighter. After a silence of a few moments, as if adjusting his thoughts in order to make a suitable answer to the declaration their guest had just given, another warrior arose and placed himself in an attitude to speak. While his lips were yet in the act of parting, a low but fearful sound arose from the forest, and was immediately succeeded by a high shrill yell that was drawn out, until it equaled the longest and most plaintive howl of the wolf. The sudden and terrible interruption caused Duncan to start from his seat, unconscious of everything but the effect produced by so frightful a cry. At the same moment, the warriors glided in a body from the lodge and the outer air was filled with loud shouts loud shouts that nearly drowned those awful sounds which were still ringing beneath the arches of the woods unable to command himself any longer the youth broke from the place and presently stood in the centre of a disorderly throng that included nearly everything having life within the limits of the encampment men women and children the aged the infirm the active and the strong were alike abroad; some exclaiming aloud, others clapping their hands with a joy that seemed frantic, and all expressing their savage pleasure in some expected event. Though astounded at first by the uproar, Hayward was soon enabled to find its solution by the scene that followed. There yet lingered sufficient light in the heavens to exhibit those bright openings among the tree tops, where different paths left the clearing to enter the depths of the wilderness. BENEATH ONE OF THEM A LINE OF WARRIORS ISSUED FROM THE WOODS, AND ADVANCED SLOWLY TOWARD THE DWELLINGS. ONE IN FRONT BORE A SHORT POLE, ON WHICH, AS IT AFTERWARDS APPEARED, WERE SUSPENDED SEVERAL HUMAN SCALPS. THE STARTLING SOUNDS THAT DUNCAN HAD HEARD WERE WHAT THE WHITES HAVE NOT INAPPROPRIATELY CALLED THE DEATH HALLOW, AND EACH REPETITION OF THE CRY WAS INTENDED TO ANNOUNCE TO THE TRIBE THE FATE OF AN ENEMY. Thus far the knowledge of Hayward assisted him in the explanation, and as he now knew that the interruptions were caused by the unlooked-for return of a successful war-party, every disagreeable sensation was quieted in inward congratulation for the opportune relief and insignificance it conferred on himself. When at the distance of a few hundred feet from the lodges, the newly-arrived warriors halted. Their plaintive and terrific cry, which was intended to represent equally the wailings of the dead and the triumph to the victors had entirely ceased one of their numbers now called aloud in words that were far from appalling though not more intelligible to those for whose ears they were intended than their expressive yells it would be difficult to convey a suitable idea of the savage ecstasy with which the news thus imparted was received the whole encampment in a moment became a scene of the most violent bustle and commotion. The warriors drew their knives, and flourishing them, they arranged themselves in two lines, forming a lane that extended from the war party to the lodges. The squaws seized clubs, axes, or whatever weapon of offense first offered itself to their hands, and rushed eagerly to act their part in the cruel game that was at hand. Even the children would not be excluded. But boys— little able to wield the instruments, tore the tomahawks from the belts of their fathers, and stole into the ranks, apt imitators of the savage traits exhibited by their parents. Large piles of brush lay scattered about the clearing, and a wary and aged squaw was occupied in firing as many as might serve to light the coming exhibition. As the flame arose, its power exceeded that of the parting day and assisted to render objects at the same time more distinct, and more hideous. The whole scene formed a striking picture, whose frame was composed of the dark and tall border of pines. The warriors just arrived were the most distant figures. A little in advance stood two men, who were apparently selected from the rest, as the principal actors in what was to follow. The light was not yet strong enough to render their features distinct, though it was quite evident that they were governed by very different emotions. While one stood erect and firm, prepared to meet his fate like a hero, the other bowed his head, as if palsied by terror or stricken with shame. The high-spirited Duncan felt a powerful impulse of admiration and pity toward the former, though no opportunity could afford to exhibit his generous emotions. He watched his slightest movement, however, with eager eyes, and, as he traced the fine outline of his admirably proportioned and active frame, he endeavored to persuade himself that, if the powers of man, seconded by such noble resolution, could bear one harmless through so severe a trial, the youthful captive before him might hope for success in the hazardous race he was about to run. Insensibly, the young man drew nigher to the swarthy lines of the Hurons, and scarcely breathed, so intense became his interest in the spectacle. Just then the signal-yell was given, and the momentary quiet which had preceded it was broken by a burst of cries that far exceeded any before heard. The more abject of the two victims continued motionless, but the other bounded from the place at the cry, with the activity and swiftness of a deer. Instead of rushing through the hostile lines, as had been expected, he just entered the dangerous defile, and before time was given for a single blow, turned short, and leaping the heads of a row of children, he gained at once the exterior and safer side of the formidable array. The artifice was answered by a hundred voices raised in imprecations, and the whole of the excited multitude broke from their order, and spread themselves about the place in wild confusion. A dozen blazing piles now shed their lurid brightness on the place, which resembled some unhallowed and supernatural arena, in which malicious demons had assembled to act their bloody and lawless rites. The forms in the background looked like unearthly beings, gliding before the eye, and cleaving the air with frantic and unmeaning gestures, while the savage passions of such as passed the flames were rendered fearfully distinct by the gleams that shot athwart their inflamed visages. It will easily be understood that, amid such a concourse of vindictive enemies, no breathing time was allowed the fugitive, There was a single moment when it seemed as if he would have reached the forest, but the whole body of his captors threw themselves before him, and drove him back into the center of his relentless persecutors. Turning like a headed deer, he shot, with the swiftness of an arrow, through a pillar of forked flame, and passing the whole multitude harmless, he appeared on the opposite side of the clearing. Here, too, he was met in turn by a few of the older and more subtle of the Hurons, Once more he tried the throng, as if seeking safety in its blindness, and then several moments succeeded, during which Duncan believed the active and courageous young stranger was lost. Nothing could be distinguished but a dark mass of human forms tossed and involved in inexplicable confusion. Arms, gleaming knives, and formidable clubs appeared above them, but the blows were evidently given at random. The awful effect was heightened by the piercing shrieks of the women, and the fierce yells of the warriors. Now and then Duncan caught a glimpse of a light form cleaving the air in some desperate bound, and he rather hoped, than believed, that the captive yet retained the command of his astonishing powers of activity. Suddenly the multitude rolled backward, and approached the spot where he himself stood. The heavy body in the rear, pressed upon the women and children in front, and bore them to the earth. The stranger reappeared in the confusion. Human power could not, however, much longer endure so severe a trial. Of this the captive seemed conscious. Profiting by the momentary opening, he darted from among the warriors, and made a desperate, and what seemed to Duncan, a final effort to gain the wood. As if aware that no danger was to be apprehended from the young soldier, the fugitive nearly brushed his person in his flight, A tall and powerful Huron, who had husbanded his forces, pressed close upon his heels, and with an uplifted arm menaced a fatal blow. Duncan thrust forth a foot, and the shock precipitated the eager savage headlong, many feet in advance of his intended victim. Thought itself is not quicker than was the motion with which the latter profited by the advantage. He turned, gleamed like a meteor again before the eyes of Duncan, and, at the next moment, when the latter recovered his recollection, and gazed around in quest of the captive, he saw him quietly leaning against a small painted post, which stood before the door of the principal lodge. Apprehensive that the part he had taken in the escape might prove fatal to himself, Duncan left the place without delay. He followed the crowd, which drew nigh the lodges, gloomy and sullen, like any other multitude that had been disappointed in an execution. Curiosity, or perhaps a better feeling, induced him to approach the stranger. He found him standing with one arm cast about the protecting post, and breathing thick and hard after his exertions, but disdaining to permit a single sign of suffering to escape. His person was now protected by immemorial and sacred usage, until the tribe in council had deliberated and determined on his fate. It was not difficult, however, to foretell the result. IF ANY PRESAGE COULD BE DRAWN FROM THE FEELINGS OF THOSE WHO CROWDED THE PLACE. THERE WAS NO TERM OF ABUSE KNOWN TO THE HURON VOCABULARY THAT THE DISAPPOINTED WOMEN DID NOT LAVISHLY EXPEND ON THE SUCCESSFUL STRANGER. THEY FLOUTED AT HIS EFFORTS AND TOLD HIM WITH BITTER SCOFFS THAT HIS FEET WERE BETTER THAN HIS HANDS, AND THAT HE MERITED WINGS, WHILE HE KNEW NOT THE USE OF AN ARROW OR A KNIFE. TO ALL THIS THE CAPTIVE MADE NO reply but was content to preserve an attitude in which dignity was singularly blended with disdain. Exasperated as much by his composure as by his good fortune, their words became unintelligible, and were succeeded by shrill, piercing yells. Just then the crafty squaw, who had taken the necessary precaution to fire the piles, made her way through the thong, and cleared a place for herself in front of the captive. THE SQUALID AND WITHERED PERSON OF THIS HAG MIGHT WELL HAVE OBTAINED FOR HER THE CHARACTER OF POSSESSING MORE THAN HUMAN CUNNING. THROWING BACK HER LIGHT VESTMENT, SHE STRETCHED FORTH HER LONG SKINNY ARM IN DERISION, AND USING THE LANGUAGE OF THE LENAPE AS MORE INTELLIGIBLE TO THE SUBJECT OF HER JIBES, SHE COMMENCED ALOUD. LOOK, YOU DELAWARE, SHE SAID, SNAPPING HER FINGERS IN HIS FACE, YOUR NATION IS A RACE OF WOMEN and the hoe is better fitted to your hands than the gun. Your squaws are the mothers of deer, but if a bear or a wildcat or a serpent were born among you, ye would flee. The Huron girls shall make you petticoats, and we will find you a husband. A burst of savage laughter succeeded this attack, during which the soft and musical merriment of the younger females strangely chimed with the cracked voice of their older and more malignant companions but the stranger was superior to all their efforts. His head was immovable, nor did he betray the slightest consciousness that any were present, except when his haughty eye rolled toward the dusky forms of the warriors, who stalked in the background silent and sullen observers of the scene. Infuriated at the self-command of the captive, the woman placed her arms akimbo, and, throwing herself into a posture of defiance, she broke out anew in a torrent of words that no art of ours could commit successfully to paper. Her breath was, however, expended in vain, for although distinguished in her nation as a proficient in the art of abuse, she was permitted to work herself into such a fury as actually to foam at the mouth, without causing a muscle to vibrate in the motionless figure of the stranger. The effect of his indifference began to extend itself to the other spectators, and a youngster who was just quitting the condition of a boy to enter the state of manhood, attempted to assist the termagant by flourishing his tomahawk before their victim, and adding his empty boast to the taunts of the women. Then, indeed, the captive turned his face toward the light, and looked down on the stripling with an expression that was superior to contempt. At the next moment he resumed his quiet and reclining attitude against the post. But the change of posture had permitted Duncan to exchange glances with the firm and piercing eyes of Uncas. Breathless with amazement, and heavily oppressed with the critical situation of his friend, Hayward recoiled before the look, trembling, lest its meaning might, in some unknown manner, hasten the prisoner's fate. There was not, however, any instant cause for such an apprehension. Just then a warrior forced his way into the exasperated crowd. Motioning the women and children aside with a stern gesture, he took Uncas by the arm, and led him toward the door of the council lodge. Thither all the chiefs and most of the distinguished warriors followed, among whom the anxious Hayward found means to enter without attracting any dangerous attention to himself. A few minutes were consumed in disposing of those present in a manner suitable to the rank and influence in the tribe. An order very similar to that adopted in the preceding interview was observed, the aged and superior chiefs occupying the area of the spacious apartment within the powerful light of a glaring torch, while their juniors and inferiors were arranged in the background, presenting a dark outline of swarthy and marked visages. In the very center of the lodge, immediately under an opening that admitted the twinkling light of one or two stars, stood Uncas, calm, elevated, and collected. His high and haughty carriage was not lost on his captors, who often bent their looks on his person, with eyes which, while they lost none of their inflexibility of purpose, plainly betrayed their admiration of the stranger's daring. The case was different with the individual whom Duncan had observed to stand forth with his friend, previously to the desperate trial of speed, and who, instead of joining in the chase, had remained, throughout its turbulent uproar, like a cringing statue, expressive of shame and disgrace." Though not a hand had been extended to greet him, nor yet an eye had condescended to watch his movements, he had also entered the lodge, as though impelled by a fate to whose decrees he submitted, seemingly without a struggle. Hayward profited by the first opportunity to gaze in his face, secretly apprehensive he might find the features of another acquaintance. But they proved to be those of a stranger, and, what was still more inexplicable, of one who bore all the distinctive marks of a Huron warrior. Instead of mingling with his tribe, however, he sat apart, a solitary being in a multitude, his form shrinking into a crouching and abject attitude, as if anxious to fill as little space as possible. When each individual had taken his proper station, and silence reigned in the place, the gray-haired chief, already introduced to the reader, spoke aloud in the language of the Leni Lenape. "'Delaware,' he said, "'though one of a nation of women,' you have proved yourself a man i would give you food but he who eats with the huron should become his friend rest in peace till the morning sun when our last words shall be spoken seven nights and as many summer days have i fasted on the trail of the hurons uncas coldly replied the children of the Lenape know how to travel the path of the just without lingering to eat Two of my young men are in pursuit of your companion,' resumed the other, without appearing to regard the boast of his captive. "'When they get back, then will our wise man say to you, "'Live or die.'" "'Has the Huron no ears?' scornfully exclaimed Uncas. "'Twice, since he has been your prisoner, "'has the Delaware heard a gun that he knows.'" "'Your young men will never come back.'" A short and sullen pause succeeded this bold assertion. Duncan, who understood the Mohican to allude to the fatal rifle of the scout, bent forward in earnest observation of the effect it might produce on the conquerors. But the chief was content with simply retorting, If the Lenape are so skillful, why is one of their bravest warriors here? He followed in the steps of a flying coward and fell into a snare. The cunning beaver may be caught." As Uncas thus replied, he pointed with his finger toward the solitary Huron, but without deigning to bestow any other notice on so unworthy an object. The words of the answer and the air of the speaker produced a strong sensation among his auditors. Every eye rolled sullenly toward the individual indicated by the simple gesture, and a low, threatening murmur passed through the crowd the ominous sounds reached the outer door and the women and children pressing into the throng no gap had been left between shoulder and shoulder that was not now filled with the dark lineaments of some eager and curious human countenance in the meantime the more aged chiefs in the centre communed with each other in short and broken sentences not a word was uttered that did not convey the meaning of the speaker in the simplest and most energetic form again a long and deeply solemn pause took place it was known by all present to be the brave precursor of a weighty and important judgment they who composed the outer circle of faces were on tiptoe to gaze and even the culprit for an instant forgot his shame in a deeper emotion and exposed his abject features in order to cast an anxious and troubled glance at the dark assemblage of chiefs the silence was finally broken by the aged warrior so often named he arose from the earth, and moving past the immovable form of Uncas, placed himself in a dignified attitude before the offender. At that moment the withered squaw already mentioned moved into the circle in a slow, sidling sort of a dance, holding the torch, and muttering the indistinct words of what might have been a species of incantation. Though her presence was altogether an intrusion, it was unheeded. Approaching Uncas, she held the blazing brand in such a manner as to cast its red glare on his person, and to expose the slightest emotion of his countenance. The Mohican maintained his firm and haughty attitude, and his eyes, so far from deigning to meet her inquisitive look, dwelt steadily on the distance, as though it penetrated the obstacles which impeded the view and looked into futurity. Satisfied with her examination, she left him. With a slight expression of pleasure and proceeded to practice the same trying experiment on her delinquent countrymen the young huron was in his war paint and very little of a finely molded form was concealed by his attire the light rendered every limb and joint discernible and duncan turned away in horror when he saw they were writhing in irrepressible agony the woman was commencing a low and plaintive howl at the sad and shameful spectacle when the chief put forth his hand and gently pushed her aside "'Read that bends,' he said, addressing the young culprit by name, and in his proper language. "'Though the great spirit has made you pleasant to the eyes, it would have been better that you had not been born. Your tongue is loud in the village, but in battle it is still. None of my young men strike the tomahawk deeper into the war-post, none of them so lightly on the Yengeese. The enemy know the shape of your back, but they have never seen the color of your eyes three times have they called on you to come and as often did you forget to answer your name will never be mentioned again in your tribe it is already forgotten as the chief slowly uttered these words pausing impressively between each sentence the culprit raised his face in deference to the other's rank and years shame horror and pride struggled in its lineaments his eye WHICH WAS CONTRACTED WITH INWARD ANGUISH, GLEAMED ON THE PERSONS OF THOSE WHOSE BREATH WAS HIS FAME, AND THE LATTER EMOTION FOR AN INSTANT PREDOMINATED. HE AROSE TO HIS FEET, AND burying HIS BOSOM, LOOKED steadily ON THE KEEN GLITTERING KNIFE THAT WAS ALREADY UPHELD BY HIS INEXORABLE JUDGE. AS THE WEAPON PASSED SLOWLY INTO HIS HEART, HE EVEN SMILED, AS IF IN JOY AT HAVING FOUND DEATH LESS DREADFUL THAN HE HAD ANTICIPATED, AND FELL HEAVILY ON HIS FACE at the feet of the rigid and unyielding form of Uncas. The squaw gave a loud and plaintive yell, dashed the torch to the earth, and buried everything in darkness. The whole shuddering group of spectators glided from the lodge like troubled sprites, and Duncan thought that he and the yet throbbing body of the victim of an Indian judgment had now become its only tenants. End of Chapter 23